Still broadcasting from Brian's basement in Brooklyn, New York. This is Camp Switch Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Thurl. This is episode 27, Joshua Harris's apostasy and keeping young kids. Precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Welcome, everybody, to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, FLFnetwork.com or CrossPolitik.com to see what we got going on as far as our other podcasts. I think we're up to nine at this point. Maybe it's eight, uh, nine or eight different podcasts that you, uh, for your listening pleasure. And this is the Campus Reach Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism and doing the work of evangelism on a college campus and talking in churches and to mothers and fathers of people who have children in college, I am often asked, um, what can they do? Probably the most common question I get outside of, uh, in the church context is, um, what can we do to kind of, um, ensure our kids don't fall away in college? And so I'm going to look at that because this past week, um, I don't know what your circles are, but uh, a guy by the name of Joshua Harris, who at 21 years old back in 1997 wrote a book entitled um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And it was a bit of a phenomena. That would have been at the end of my uh, college career. I don't remember reading it. I've never really been in depth in real, real evangelical circles, and I've kind of uh, generally avoided popular Christian books, uh, just my nature's contrary. And so, for example, I've never actually read a C.S. Lewis book uh, because everybody around me was reading them. So maybe he's not totally pop evangelical. But uh, so this book comes out. I remember people talking about it. I thought the title was a little goofy. Um, and I think I practically kissed Daddy goodbye. I think that was uh, a bit of the culture I was in without, um, you know, even before that book, as far as the basic ideas of what dating was to look like and stuff like that. So anyway, um, if you're paying any attention to what's going on, Joshua Harris um, was a pastor at a church in um, Gaithersburg, Maryland, uh, for a handful of years, which was part of the Sovereign Grace Network. And back in 2011, 2012, they had a fallout due to a sexual abuse scandal. And in that process, Joshua mentions uh, that when he was a boy, he was also abused. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, he pulls that church out of uh, Sovereign Grace circles. And then in 2015, I believe, he stepped down from being the pastor of that church and decided to go to seminary. And it was actually at that point when he decided to step down and go to seminary that I began to pay attention to him because um, when he decided to step down and go to Regent Seminary in Vancouver, Canada, I kind of got the hunch that he was going to jettison the faith at that point. Uh, I couldn't understand why a guy in the circles that he was in would be going to uh, a regent, which I have been very unimpressed. I know really one person that has come out of there that I believe um, is still kind of rooted in a good view of Sola Scriptura and the authority of the Bible. Everybody else has kind of been liberalized. They're egalitarians. Uh, they're social justice And as a total side note, this is why the social justice issue is so important, because at bottom, it becomes a humanistic hermeneutic uh, and becomes an acid uh, that destroys people's faith. And so I don't know what all of Josh's background is, all of his experiences, um, everything that he's going through. Um, but it's pretty grievous, and I've been grieved for the last three or four days. Yeah, I think it was Friday, perhaps, when the news came out. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was interesting to me because I never paid attention to him from 1997 to 2015. Uh, 2015 comes around every six months. I'm, I'm kind of like just Google. I'm like, wonder what he's up to. wonder what he's up to. Then he came out with that documentary about the movie uh, or about his book, 
um, and where he interviewed people um, whose experiences with his book and the quote-unquote purity culture uh, were negative, and I think he took a lot of that stuff to heart. And so one of the, uh, kind of in the context of discouragement, or one of the interesting things, and kind of tied into tonight's topic of keeping people in the faith, is, you know, everybody has a reason for why he's fallen away. So for some people, it's like, oh, he has the wrong ecclesiology. Oh, he had the wrong socia- uh, soteriology. Oh, he had the wrong pneumatology. And there's all these different ologies. If they just got that right, he would have been there. But, you know, we could pull people from all those pneumatologies, all those ecclesiologies, um, people who have the right one who have fallen away, people who have had the wrong one have not fallen away. And so I, I think the bottom line when it comes to apostasy, um, it's not necessarily rational. And part of the basic idea of that, if you think of hanging out with Peter uh, hang out with Judas, hang out with the 12, hang out with Jesus. And even Peter's like, oh, I'll never leave you. And, you know, we could debate whether or not Peter's ecclesiology was right at that point or his soteriology or his pneumatology and all that sort of stuff, um, whether or not he had those things right and why he denied them. I think the reality of it is that sin, and especially apostasy, is often irrational. And it's very rarely an intellectual thing. I don't think Judas for a moment didn't think Jesus... Uh, was real, uh, was hanging out with him. We could debate how much he thought he was a Messiah. We could argue that uh, part of his uh, betraying him was to kick off uh, the messianic movement in high gear and all that sort of stuff. Or even Peter, who's I'll never deny you. Um, but lo and behold, there he is uh, denying him. And and then you know, go back to the Old Testament and uh, various men there who, even Moses, who ends up, he didn't really fall away, but he um, sins against God. But you take Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, listen to the serpent, um, why would they do that when Israel comes up out of Egypt and they don't believe Yahweh despite seeing everything that he's done? Um, so th- there is no... So the answer to the question, uh, uh, how do we keep our kids? Uh, we're going to get to that in a second, but I did want to read a couple passages that I think are important in this discussion. we got to keep in mind because uh, there's nothing in Joshua's departure uh, that causes me to question the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and whether or not he has all authority under heaven and earth. The one thing it kind of does shake is my faith in myself, that uh, my operating assumption is I will always persevere. Um, I do believe in perseverance of the saints. And, you know, the operating, obviously I wouldn't be a Christian if I believe perseverance of saints. I believe I'm going to persevere. Um, but it does shake the confidence in myself uh, a little bit. And I think that's uh, maybe the distressing aspect of it practically is you end up looking at yourself be like, all right, is there any sin in me? Because eventually we're going to find out uh, more of the story, and I think we'll uh, may or may not be shocked at some of the sins that are involved. But um, it's I'm going to go ahead and say I doubt that it is primarily an intellectual thing, that he was reading something in the Gospels, and he was like, lo and behold, I can't believe this anymore. Um, But rather that it was something uh, sinful and something probably emotional. And so whatever's going on with he and his wife, um, we'll, you know, maybe maybe things we'll find out more, but perhaps not. But also intertwined with that, um, Josh's departure got me uh, down a couple rabbit holes of ex-evangelicals. So hashtag ex-evangelicals. And be it on uh, Instagram or be it on uh, Twitter, um, it, it's kind of the theater of the absurd. And what you see is basically a lot of bitterness. And within that, you know, my, my, my experiences in the church have largely been pretty healthy. Um, I don't feel like I've had authoritarians around me. I haven't been abused. Uh, you know, I think there's been points of manipulation um, and things like that, but nothing that has just been so over the top that I'm just sitting there going, uh, um, you know, I have to deny Jesus, I have to deny the church, I have to de- deny evangelicalism or the Reformed faith, whatever it is. 
I've, I've just never been close uh, to being in that situation. Um, but when you ha- go down these little evangelical rabbit holes, you see um, kind of, in many ways, it's, it's pretty sad just because you feel like these are genuinely hurting and broken people. And you kind of wonder, did they ever really grasp the gospel? And I even wondered that looking at some of Josh's uh, material just through Google Books as I'd read his things. I was like, man, did he ever really grasp the gospel? Everything does seem kind of... Um, works-oriented and getting your act together uh, quite a bit, um, even in his, um, I think it was his book, on, he had a book on lust, I can't remember the title, um, and he had a, his, it was kind of funny because what, what got me there was a, an article by CNN talking about how he uh, bashed gays or something like that, um, uh, railed is what was the word they used, railed against uh, homosexuals, and so I had to see what the railing was, and, and he really only had two comments about him, but one of the things that uh, it said that bothered him uh, the, but the homosexuals, he was walking down the street, I believe in Colorado, and uh, some gays, I guess, were uh, eyeing him. And uh, it really ticked him off, he says. And he was trying to uh, use that analogously. Uh, just as much that ticked him off, so does Yahweh, uh, Josh's lust towards women tick him off. And uh, it, it's just, even, so even that, if, if you're, uh, all right, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. And when I was a boy, there was an appropriate place for my mom just to tell me, wait till your father gets home. And I would fear my dad getting home. And that was kind of the beginning of wisdom or moral instruction. Um, but if at this point in my life, uh, my interaction with my father is predicated upon, wait till your dad gets home, uh, something is deeply wrong. And so in a similar fashion in your Christian life, uh, obviously there is a sense in which you ought to fear God which isn't the boogeyman, which isn't a black man run from the Ku Klux Klan. It is just the holiness of God and the reality of that, and you fall down in his presence and you tremble. And so it's not the, uh, yeah, it's, it's not an irrational fear. It's perfectly reasonable to fear Yahweh. Um, but if you're in your fight against sin, um, what you need to learn to do is grow in love towards God and love towards your neighbor. And how... And so as you're wrestling with sin, it's not just, an, uh, you do want to hate it, um, but it's not sufficient just to be disgusted with yourself and to hate what's going on in your heart and mind. Uh, what you need to learn to do is to love God and love your neighbor. And so if you're lying to your neighbor, um, you know, go ahead and evaluate and say how much you hate lying. Um, but what you really need to learn to do is love the truth. And what you need to learn to do is love God. And if you're a loving God who is the truth, you're going to begin to speak the truth. And if you love your neighbor rather than lusting after your neighbor, uh, you're going to honor them. And uh, maybe we need to do a discussion on lust sometime because uh, I deal with it all the time with college students, but that needs to be addressed. So anyway, uh, I want to read two passages uh, considering uh, people falling away. And I, I, th- I think we need to deal with the complexity of it because I think just, just throwing First John 2 and just saying, oh, whoever with us, uh, if they were of us, they wouldn't have fallen away or... Uh, they left us because they weren't of us. Uh, seems kind of trite, especially with a guy who uh, people I know, and obviously it's the preaching of the word, but people who, who thought his piety was real and spent time with them and all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, and the story's not done being written, so we'll see what happens. But here are two passages. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately 
he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one who has sown good soil, this is the one who hears the word of God and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So the basic idea there. Um, there is some sense in which people do participate, um, and you can even read John Calvin on this stuff, so you don't think I'm uh, not being a good Calvinist, uh, who participate in the grace of God, uh, get some knowledge, get some knowing of God, and yet the reality of the world chokes them out. So, you know, I don't want to speculate too much, but you take a guy starting a business in Vancouver, Canada. I doubt purity culture is real cool up there. Um, he's got to run a business. The temptations to say, look, I need to make money. Uh, my evangelicalism is maybe over, and I'll you know rather do something else. And so, what do we need to do? The the concerns of the world kind of choke you out. And the one that's more terrifying, and I think uh, all of us, uh, to one extent or another, and I don't care what your theology is, it's a difficult passage in Hebrews chapter six. Um, Paul is basically telling the Hebrews that they, at this point in their Christian life, they ought to be mature, um, and they're not, and that's uh, Hebrews chapter 5, and they should be mature, but they're not. But he goes on telling this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So however you want to understand that, uh, as an Arminian, as a Calvinist, and bring all, uh, all those details together. I think it's a difficult passage, no matter what your theology is, um, but I think we need to sit under the weight of it, and the reality of it is it may not be possible uh, for him to be brought back to repentance, um, especially with such a public, no, I'm done, I'm publicly recanting the faith. Um, it's actually a pretty pretty heavy thing, whereas you look at uh, other scenarios, people, him and Han, they kind of have the appearance of falling away, uh, but they don't just flat out say, no, I don't believe this stuff anymore, and I'm done with it. Um, so however you want to bring it together, tying into the idea of parents asking me, how do we keep our kids? Uh, my answer is, I don't know. Uh, tying back to what I said earlier, um, you can have all the right ecclesiology, you can have all the right worldview, you can do worldview upon worldview upon worldview study, um, and all that that entails, and get the per perfect systematic theology and the perfect biblical theology, get everything uh, just right, uh, that is no guarantee of perseverance. And I think that's kind of the, the terrifying thing uh, with it, is at the end of the day, we want, even in a situation like Josh or somebody else that we know, uh, what are the causes? What all happened? And if we can uproot those causes and eradicate those causes, uh, we can prevent it from happening again. And, uh, and I think the uh, difficult reality of it is there is no uh, surefire way in of itself uh, to ensure it. And uh, I think what we need to do, uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 31, Jesus speaking, says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to... Uh, both prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Thomas Peter, um, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. 
And so that's the reality. But at the, what we need and what you need to be teaching your children um, really is, to kind of be simple about it, Jesus. Um, and obviously, you need to tease out all the implications of that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, uh, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so now walk in him, being rooted and built up and all that sort of stuff. And so we need to do all of the implications of that with our children um, and with our loved ones and our family and everything else. Um, but what we need to be driving home again and again and again is that our hope is in Jesus. And especially if you take purity culture, and obviously you want your children to be pure, you don't want your children to be lying, you don't want your children to be sexually immoral, but are your children totally confident that if they go off to college and in their first two months of college they find themselves being promiscuous, um, do they know that there's a gospel that they can return to? Or are they persuaded that well, I've blown that. That was my whole hope and my identity. Even though I knew a little bit about grace, now that I've lost my uh, virginity, maybe there's not really grace for me anymore. Um, and it hasn't happened as much recently because there are a number of years there where I would talk to young women, uh, women particularly, on a college campus. And I guess maybe the men dress it up a little bit more and the women were a little more open uh, with it. But I sit down, finish my day preaching. I'm talking to them. They talk about growing up as a Christian. Maybe their dad's a pastor. But then I got to college, and they start giving me all the reasons of why they're not a Christian. And I remember being in Colorado one time and talked to a young woman there who uh, was kind of hemming and hawing about her life. She was a freshman. And I said, you had sex. And it was almost like a relief of just telling her that. And, uh, and I explained to her, I was like, look, if you ever thought your virginity was your hope before God, you've yet to understand the gospel. And you know, we spent a good 30 minutes going through over the gospel. Um, you know, it's not all right what she did, That's why, but that's why we need to preach grace. So gr- biblical grace comes into the context of, uh, of, of sin and rebellion and real wickedness, and where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And we need to be persuaded of that, and our children need to be persuaded of that. So I don't know if there's a real foolproof guide on how to keep them, um, but... Uh, pointing them to Jesus and having them understand that Jesus is gracious to sinners um, is the hope from beginning to end. Um, and one other thing I do want to address briefly, if you happen to see uh, Josh's Instagram uh, post, uh, this is the sort of thing that we need to learn to address and speak to, because the more that a Josh produces this type of thing and people are going to fall in love, I, I, I don't think it's well-written, a lot of people seem to, um, but he's going to talk about like the beauty and the messiness and grace and love and forgiveness and all these things um, that in the broader culture, um, you know, if I went out and got dreadlocks tomorrow, everybody would lose their mind that I'm cultural appropriating hair, or if I open up a Chinese restaurant, I'm appropriating food and things like that. And so what Joshua does is he appropriates Christianity. He appeals to Martin Luther. He appeals to Julian of Norwich and things like that. Um, but the root, if, if you get a chance to read it, just Harris Josh on Instagram, um, the bottom line, what I want you to pull from it is that uh, what he actually ends up arguing here is that he argues that he repents from self-righteousness. Uh, but the reality of it is what he's really doing is establishing himself as being righteous in the sense that there is no standard of righteous in God, um, because there is no God, uh, but the standard of righteous is what our society or he himself has constructed, which is the embodiment of self-righteousness. And so there are two ways to be self-righteous, either the proclamation that you've obeyed all the law and the prophets, which obviously nobody has, or saying, I'm actually the standard of righteousness. So there are two ways you can use that term, uh, Josh, is definitely using it in terms of the latter, that he's uh, now the standard of righteous, and that's why he even repents of uh, the things he said about the LGBTQ plus community, as well as women in church and all that sort of jazz.
So anyway, um, how do you keep your kids? You just got to keep preaching the gospel to them. The hope uh, of the world is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. And if you think any other means, be it homeschooling, be it uh, certain ecclesiology, be it certain eschatologies and whatever other ologies you want to throw in, if it's anything other than the death of our resurrection of Jesus and pointing your children and your loved ones and your family and your church constantly to him for all things, um, you know, that's the only hope. And if they're believing that and even asking Jesus, pray for me that my faith may maintain. All right. The Lord bless you. Keep you. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations about anything I've said tonight, feel free to email me, Keith at campusreacher.com, or you can find me on the Twitter, uh, Campus Evangel. The Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow Hurry, take what you've got